want to thank all of our listeners for several years of dedicated and loyal listening throughout the Halo Talks 400 podcast completed to date. We're going to 1,000 by 2024. If you're so inclined, we'd love to have you go to iTunes for us, fill out a review so we can keep this podcast rolling globally. We are now on Chartable's top lists and moving up the charts. Also, if you want to educate yourself in the new year, please go to thehaloacademy.com. Take a look at what we've done with 150 executives in the Halo sector to get them smarter, get them prepared for capital raises, and also more winning. Thanks. Have a great season. Let's go. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks. I have a fellow HBS Harvard Business School alum with me, Jay Dennis, John Jacques, coming in from Ocean Park. We're going to talk about investing. We're going to talk about executing on opportunities and maybe passing on some, depending on the market sentiment and the work and analysis that investors do. So, Dennis, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Pete. I really appreciate you taking the time. Great. So, you know, our HALO sector, Health, Active, Lifestyle, Outdoors, uh, we've been using that acronym for several years now. Um, there are some public companies that are in the space like Lifetime, Planet Fitness, uh, Exponential. Maybe you could give your background of investing in public markets. And we're going to talk about educating people on, you know, when things seem too good, when things, you know, may look like opportunities, value investing, and how they can then turn yeah. maybe the market sentiment into how, you know, they should think about their own business and growth, whether it's time to hunker down or it's time to grow. So why don't you yeah. give your background for us? Yeah, sure. So I started in the um, investment industry in the early 1990s. Um, I grew up in Boston, went to engineering school, and um, you know, prior to going to Harvard Business School, I worked at Fidelity. Um, basically, I was an analyst there working with um, investors like you know, Jeff Upin, Peter Lynch, um, Will, Will Danoff, and after uh, a couple of years at, at the Fidelity, I went to Harvard Business School, where I really kind of you know uh, altered my trajectory in terms of where I would end up in the in the investment uh, field. Um, I remember Warren Buffett visiting my class during that time, and he really you know uh, really showed us a different angle in terms of investing. And um, and I since then I really kind of followed that kind of track, and and so that's how I started uh, investing. So for the pre for the next um, uh, t uh, twenty years, the first ten years, I was basically focusing on doing deep dive fundamental investment and investing, which we'll probably get into a little bit. And then I also did long short equity investing um, in, in the next ten years. So uh, so that's basically my general background. Yeah. So just um, you know, give us a little bit of insight in whose money are you investing, and how does that work? So. You know, when we talk about in our Halo Academy, a lot of private equity funds that get formed, a lot of that money or most of that money is coming from endowment funds, pension funds, now insurance companies, high net worth investors. So, you know, why is somebody giving you their money to invest? Uh, what are the economics of that? And, you know, how, how does a fundraising go? Because most of our audience understand private equity now, but not necessarily hedge fund or asset management companies. Yeah, so for us, um, you know, I can't talk too much about specific um, you know, names, but basically we invest for um, uh, uh, 
you know, institutional investors primarily, um, that those include foundations, um, Fortune 500 company, um, global uh, uh, funds of funds as well. Um, and in terms of, you know, fundraising, it's really about, um, you know, trying to figure out what their issues and problems are, what problems they're trying to solve in their allocation. So we have two different strategies. One is a risk of mitigation kind of absolute return strategy. And um, you know, the goal there is really to compound capital, not being correlated with the market, uh, provide you know some, time, some downside protection. Um, and at a minimum, if we're not providing you know 100% downside, we're at least beating the market um, uh, when the market uh, comes in. And then we have another opportunistic strategy, which is much more what your viewers are probably, your listeners and viewers probably used to. It's, it's much more, uh, it's a private equity um, approach, and but in the public market. So taking you know, positions of companies um, for a longer term, look, uh, seeking more outsized returns. Um, sometimes we, we would like to get engaged in, in some of those companies. So uh, we believe that um, that's how one should look at the, the, the market, you know, continue to try to compound your capital while you're waiting for great opportunities to invest. Got it. So for our listeners here, private equity will go out, raise money. They'll say, hey, I'm going to take a billion dollars. I'm going to turn it into three or four billion dollars. It's going to take five to 10 years. I'm going to find opportunities to invest in management teams and businesses that I think have a special sauce or something that could be repeatable and scalable. And after I'm done growing it, I'm going to sell it to the next private equity fund or I'm going to take it to the public markets. And that how, that's how you're going to get liquidity. So if I'm an asset manager of a college, let's say Emory University, and I've got $5 billion of potential investments with my endowment fund in order to grow the school in whatever areas that they wanted to grow, they're relying on me as the asset manager to get returns on that capital base. So some of that would go to people like Dennis to say, hey, here's a couple hundred million dollars. See if you could turn that into, you know, a 12 to 15 to 20% return and outpace the markets. Some of it might be to put in private equity. Some of it might be to put in Apple stock. So for our listeners, they're all different investment strategies, themes, and experts basically targeting those pockets to make outsized returns. You know, as you look at um, being a public market investor, um, if I take a step back and I say, hey, I, I own uh, investments in seven private companies, which I do, um, I could decide any day what I think they're worth and I can either, you know, smile and, uh, you know, drink a Gatorade and go to my soul cycle and be psyched about it because something good happened today. Or I could say, you know what, this is probably very expensive stock certificate wallpaper and it'll probably never be worth anything. So, you know, as a public market investor, talk about your psychology and how you deal with the highs and the lows. In our industry, a lot of operators kind of live and, and die or live and breathe by, you know, how good the day was or how good the week was or how good the month was in their their private company. But it's also you know, an overhang or, you know, maybe an umbrella that has a lot of holes in it. If you're a public market investor and you're down 20, 30% this month, even though you've done the work, you know, how do you kind of deal with the long term, you know, hey, I'm going in the right direction. I have conviction. However, the markets do what the markets do. Well, so um, uh, I, that, that's a great question. Um, I think the best way to, to answer that is that it reminds me of, um, a story um, or analogy that actually Warren Buffett used when he visited 
uh, my class at HBS over 20, 20 years ago, and he he basically posed a question to the to the, the students that said, you know, uh, he asked you why would someone, a rational person, sell a really good business generating a lot of free cash flow? Why would he sell it at a 40 percent discount? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, um, you know, then 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 he would say, you know, maybe you know they they needed the money. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they could um, they could sell it and maybe buy it back later at at, at a lower price. Um, and then he posed a question: What if you buy those shares and you never sell it back to them? Right. What if you 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 own it for months, years, or even decades? And that was I call that my rational awakening, and that is the opportunity. So every day. There are really good businesses being sold by semi-rational or rational people that there are all sorts of reasons why they may need the money. But your job is really to wait for those opportunities. So, you know, one of the things that um, is often said is that, you know, you have to look at the market as a vehicle to serve you, not to serve it. So the idea is that you have to be willing to wait and be patient for the right opportunities to arise. So the, I think one of the advantages of being in the public markets is, um, you know, private equity, you know, if you love a business, you think it's great, the seller may not want to sell it to you. Say, well, you know, I want to, maybe I want to keep it, maybe I change my mind, maybe all sorts of things. And the public markets, I think that because of its of the liquidity, it's you really have most of the power to really own these kind of businesses, and you go own it and hold it for 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 a long period of time. However, you have to make sure that your temperament is matched with the type of investing you're doing. So, if you are a daily trader, um, it may not be the right approach for you, because one of the things that a lot of investors don't realize is that. The market is really a wealth transfer mechanism, and typically it transfers wealth from the active trader to the passive trader. So while you're trading day in, day in, day out, and you're you know you're you're, 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 you're trading all these stocks, you're really at the end of the day moving a lot of capital from active traders to 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 basically more passive traders. So the 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 idea I would tell people is that. Wait for the great opportunities to arise. Do a lot of homework looking at great businesses. Um, as a matter of fact, there are businesses that we're looking at now that we've been waiting three plus years to buy. It just hasn't hit our, our price target, even in this market. Because, But when it does hit our price target, we are fully convinced that and have high conviction to go in to buy those kind of shares. So I think that would be the kind of the differentiating factor between how we think about the markets and how others do. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great summary. You know, to, to educate people here, if you want to sell your health club chain or franchisor or franchisee platform, um, you know, that's usually on, on, a, on the best day, it's a it's a three-month process to get liquidity for your equity. On a more reasonable timeline, it's six to nine months to get somebody to buy your equity. Um, some processes due to COVID could be 12 to 24 months, whereas Dennis has the luxury of going and firing up his computer and selling his shares. So the ability to, to move equity between people or between firms in the public market serves a very significant liquidity 
um, solution where somebody could get in and out. And there's, there used to be Dennis, you'll, you'll appreciate this, but there used to be a liquidity discount associated with, with private companies, which seems to somehow have gone yeah. by the wayside, yeah. um, of, uh, if, uh, if a, if Planet Fitness trades at 25 times EBITDA and I'm a franchisor, you know, but I'm one one hundredth of the size of Planet Fitness and I'm a public, a private company, some time, somehow I'm still worth 25 times EBITDA. Right. <laughs> at the end of the day, you're not. Um, however, you know, the public markets, I think sometimes get, get a bad rap or hedge funds get a bad rap because like, oh, you guys aren't really producing anything. You know, you're basically just, you know, trading actively as like a glorified, you know, day trader. However, you know, you're moving capital and creating wealth enhancement for investors that are then using those returns to build buildings, buy buildings, bring on new um, programming into uh, into schools, funding scholarship programs, um, you know, donating that money on behalf of nonprofits. So, you know, when you think more holistically, you know, about your career um, and maybe you're not running around to management presentations all the time, but, you know, you're, you're making things happen. Talk about how you kind of compare yourself to, you know, other HBS alumni or your friends that say, hey, I just built this company, you know, and it took me 20 years and I kind of created it down in my parents' basement. Um, and you say, hey, that's awesome. And I love it. And when you get to the point where you could become a public company, I, I, I'm there to serve you, if you will, to create liquidity for your business. So how do you kind of assess what you do and, and get excited every day versus somebody who might say, I'm an entrepreneur. I got to get out there. I got to roll up my sleeves every day and you know do something physically or have a meeting with people or hire people. So define your, your, your side of the world. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I would say that um, it really boils down to one's temperament and how you're wired. Not everyone is wired to run a business. Um, you know, I, you know, during my first and second year of business school, I did work at a private equity uh, firm for the summer, and it is just not that's just not how I'm, I'm wired. I I would after spending two, three months on a deal, I would like to close it. <laughs> not, not that. Join, you know, join the club. Join the integrity square. I don't want to like, you know, oh, well, it's for some, for some reason or another, you know, the, the, you know, the management team didn't, didn't want to sell or the owner or the family business didn't, you know, didn't want to sell it. And, or, 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 or the, or the financials I have to take out all this stuff out of it because, you know, it was like run like a, like a, you know, a, you know, lifestyle business. And so, so it depends how you wire and, and look, other people, they're wired that way. They, they, they enjoy the fact that, you know, they looking at, you know, eight different kind of deals and one of them will hit, um, they, they look at 12 deals, they'll do one a year and right. they're really wired that way. And that's, that's fantastic. I am not wired that way. I think the way I'm more wired is, you know, it's really coming from an engineering background that, you know, similar to private equity investors, um, you know, I like the logic. I like the the puzzle, try to figure it out. I know there's a lot of com um, competitors and other managers and investors looking at the same kind of opportunities. And, you know, uh, it, there's some gratification when um, I am found to be right. I was correct on this opportunity. The other thing I will say is that we embrace liquidity. 
you know, they say that liquidity is like oxygen. You know, you take it for granted and, until it's no longer there. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we've been we've been in a very strong bull market. Um, you know, inve- all investors make you know stumble; they make mistakes. I like the fact that I could get out early. Um, part of being a good investor, just like the amount of research and work that you do going into an investment, you have to monitor those investors to try to get ahead of the the crowd when you notice that you may have made a mistake and you maybe you're going to be down 10 50 percent on the, on the idea but you're out and then you know you look back a year later the stock's down 90 percent or 80 percent and that is just as much gratifying as is buying a company and, and having it ride for a long long time so that is how i'm so if you're wired a certain way and to to just to um uh, curtail in your point if you're wired a certain way there are areas of the financial market, be it private equity, be it public markets, be it venture capital, uh, um, where you can you can you can excel and do well. I found that in terms of some of my classmates, I think that some of them who may have not who are not doing I think as much as they would like to do in terms of their career is that alignment wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Where they may be more of a private equity investor, but they're doing the public markets or vice versa. Um, and lastly, the last thing I would say is that um, for me, because I am focused, because of my engineering background, I like logic. And I like, you know, things kind of, you know, adding up, so to speak. Um, I'm more geared towards uh, the, what the probabilities are as opposed to what the possibilities are. So if you think of a venture capital, for example, um, mm-hmm. I like to buy business track records. And I think that's what value investing is really about, to buying business track records. If there's no track record as in VC and things of that nature, it's just something that I just cannot get my hand around. I don't know if, you know, we're going to be going to the moon and we're going to be, you know, if crypto right. is really the thing or, or, or the metaverse. I have no idea. That is just not me. Um, uh, and so for me, I like companies where I can look 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years and say, how did this company operate during a recession? How did this company operate when interest rates going up? How did this uh, company operate when, when there's high inflation? So I can make a reasonable, logical decision to say, based on what the uh, assessment I've made, I'm willing to make this probabilistic investment saying that there's a, the probability is on my side. When you um, when you take a look at you know markets that may you know, outrun themselves for a period of time. Um, obviously, there was there was a lot of capital put into the system, you know, whether it was PPP money that ended up in the stock market, whether it was, um, you know, government checks that were $1,500 or $2,000. And then you find out that the average Robinhood account, you know, was exactly the dollar amount that came from the government. So basically, the government's like FanDuel, you know, and giving <laughs> you like 1000 to $2,000 to put into the market because the casinos are closed. The horse racing is closed. You know, people want to gamble. Welcome to to the the Nasdaq. You yeah. know, so from from a standpoint, when you look at um, you know markets and you say over a long period of time, you know they they correct themselves or they're they come to the point where they're pretty much right. Let's just use that as an example. I have people come to me and they say, "Well, Pete, things are different now. Like you don't understand like that the game has changed," and then. When the market comes back down to earth, you say, well, actually, like business law and business rules like apply to everything. You either have a unit economic model that makes money or it doesn't make money. 
you got a venture capital idea and that idea either has come to fruition, you know, within a reasonable period of time, or it's never going to become a thing, you know, like the Oculus mm-hmm. headsets. I would right, say, right. you know, everyone would have a headset right now and, um, you know, the entire world would be on, you know, Google glasses. Or right. Not, right. Right. So, you know, how do you think about, you know, maybe like uh, seismic events or like really like game changing um quantum leaps in like hey the yeah. business business yeah. models change obviously you got social media you got internet you got everything else you got ai but like how do you calibrate on your own to say like hey that sounds like really awesome but it's kind of like something i already saw and it's kind of bullshit yeah. and it's really yeah. not yeah. going to turn into what you think so how prudent have you become or maybe quick to judge yeah. but usually right yeah no that's a great question so i you know it it, it all boils down to your circle of competence so it reminds me of a, a, a story that Charlie Munger actually uh, often says is that. So Charlie Munger, who's you know, Warren Buffett's um, sure. you know, partner, um, you know, often, often talks about how he has a friend who um, all he does is buy he buys real estate in the Stanford University area. That's all he does. Yeah. So if you tell him, hey, you know, there's great real estate opportunity in, in Miami, you know, or in New York, it's fantastic. He'll he'll pass, and right. he's a billionaire. All he does is buy real estate around Stanford University. He knows where the students go. He knows what's coming up, what's how much it's worth. And he's been doing it for decades and decades and decades. And the moral to that story is that you could make a lot of money or you could be highly successful in, a, in your corridor of the market. You do not have to go chase waterfalls. You don't have to go chase things that you may not know very well, but it's the hottest thing. So if so, for us, for example, we focus on industrial-related companies. Companies are hard assets and cash flows. We're talking about, you know, ag equipment. We're talking about, you know, um, a lot of infrastructure and things of that sort. So what I tell investors often, I remind them about that story. When people say, hey, you know, the metaverse and things of that nature. And I, look, there's going to be a lot of money to be made in those kind of things. But for us, and I would say for other people, I would say that try to analyze the track record of the company. Because what's going to happen is that when you make an investment, not all investments go straight up. Sometimes right. they go go down a bit. Maybe they're down 15% or 20% or, or 13%. At those moments, that's when you have to tell yourself, do I buy more or do I hold on to it? And you have to have some kind of conviction. That, that is not the time to try to figure out, well, is the metaverse really going to happen or something that you really don't have, have a clue? So... So to going back to the to the real estate analogy, so when when you could imagine when real estate prices go down dramatically, you know, or he buys uh, you know some property around the Stanford University campus, then the real estate prices go down. He's probably buying more. Liquidity, right? Always have liquidity yeah. to take advantage of a, of a future opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So so to answer your question, is really about building circle circle competence. And stay within that circle, circle of confidence and wait for the opportunities to arise. And don't kind of try not to chase a lot of, you know, uh, unicorns uh, per se. Yeah. So we'll put that uh, that TLC, Beyonce, don't go chasing uh, waterfalls. <laughs> That's going to be the closing. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Maybe you and I will do like an acapella or something. That's right. That. That's right. That's uh, right. A little, little riff at the end. Yeah. You know, so so in, in closing here, um, you know, as you take a look at companies that have built their business over – you know, 20 to 25 years and 
you know, they're getting courted by investment banks. Maybe they're a, a data analytics company and they're in the health and fitness industry and the halo sector. And, you know, the bankers are like, hey, look, we can sell your company to a private equity fund. You'll get this amount of money or we'll take this company public. You know, in closing here, give us like some insight into when you meet with management teams or you start reading transcripts and you say, hey, these guys or this women or this management team, like they are in way over their heads. Like they have no idea the scrutiny, the uh, complexity and the guidance that they need to have into their business in order to be a public company. Like what's the pros and cons of that? So when do you kind of say like, hey, interesting company, you know, they're in the right place, but this team's just not like they have no idea what they're in for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would I would say uh, I would say three three things. Number one is that uh, most companies um, and the public markets that we look at is there's typically one or two things that really drive this, the, the shares and profitability. For us, we call it the deep reality of the, of the business. And for us, it's the source of return on capital employed. Now, the source could be a company's able to re- ability to raise prices. Maybe it's volume. Maybe they're just growing volume, or it could be that their input costs of 80% of their costs is copper, and then copper's coming down, and so that could be the the source of, of margins expanding. So when you talk to management team, and you say, you know, what's your return on capital employed? And it could be they could say, hey, it's 30%, and you could do your own research and you find that it's 25, or or you could look at, you know, some some uh, um, like Bloomberg terminal they have at 18. The number isn't really the point. So if a company says their return on capital is 30, the question is, what is it going to from 30 to 50, or is it going to 30 to 15? If it's going to 30 to uh, if it's going from 30 to 50, the question is. How are you going to, what's driving the, the source of return on capital employee to go from 30 to 50? And that will be the source. Now, the, the key thing here is that you have to come in understanding historically what has been the source of return on capital employed. So if the source has been, once the company is able to raise prices, there's not a lot of capacity in the industry, they, they raise prices. But if you see that prices, capacity is increasing in the industry, they're not able to raise prices, um, and the company still believes that they will, the, the return capital will still increase, and they say that will they able to be able to raise prices? There's a disconnect there, and you have to lean on what historically the track record has been for the business, and because that's how you could kind of build uh, some of the conviction on on what you're doing. So, for us, it's really about a understanding what historically has been the source of return capital employed. Is it the same today, or is it getting better, or is it getting worse? I would say that would be the key for 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 us. That's great. I think I think people can really apply that same kind of scrutiny to their own businesses. You know, being a being a private company, yeah. you don't have that many other people looking at your business to say, "Hey, this is what your real drivers are," or "Let me scrutinize this," or "Let me go deep on on a part of the business that doesn't make sense to me." Explain this. So um, there are definitely benefits to being a public company, and also be, having your stock have the liquidity that you'd want, which is the main reason why companies go public also to use their stock as currency to do deals and, and, and reward their employees. So um, we're going to put the waterfall song on after (laughs) this. leave us with a, uh, uh, this has been a great like educational primer. And I'm glad we started this at the early in the morning too, because this has been a good, uh, good educational uh, uh, little cup of coffee for me here Um, from a standpoint of, um, you know, famous quotes or things that you live by, you know, obviously you got the Buffett and the, uh, 
and the uh, the monger. And I love that story of real estate. Just stay within your wheelhouse and, you know, be an expert in, in an area. That could be a physical area. Um, a lot of health club operators and studios, like you go into a city, they know exactly where to put that location. That's expertise. Mm-hmm. That's not in a database somewhere. Yeah. Um, so you got one extra quote that you could uh, leave us with here in parting. Yeah, since 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 I'm 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 batting a thousand with the Buffett, so I I th- I think another quote I think you would like is um, um, one I use often is that you know Buffett always says that investing is is not like gymnastics. There's no style points. Oftentimes, you you talk to a lot of investors to say, hey, you know, we're we have options. We're 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 shorting this. We're buying this, and we're like, you know, we're we're cutting this. We're we're doing this great stuff. And then, well, you what are your returns? Well, we're up, you know, eight percent. Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of ways to get eight um, uh, percent. You know, so there, there's no because you're doing all the, a lot of fancy stuff around what you're doing in the public markets. Well, I would even think in the, in, in the private area as well. If you're doing all this stuff where we're we're cutting this and we're you know, leveraging this and we're you know doing all this kind of stuff, and then you're getting roughly the same if you were not doing that. So right. um, that's one of the key things is that you know th- there's no style points in investing. You know, your returns are returns. And if you could make it much simpler and get similar returns, the better you'll be. That's great. All right, well, keep your business simple. Drive it. Know what the returns are, the special sauce, what moves the needle. And don't chase waterfalls. Don't (laughs) chase waterfalls. Dennis, man, thanks for the primer here. Love to see you in person. And uh, we expect the next follow-up here is that you're going to own, like, 5% of, like, the five largest companies in the halo sector. So we'll check back with you in 2024. Absolutely. All right, Pete, man. This, this has been great. I really appreciate Fun, it. Fun, man. All right, good All stuff. Right. Ocean Park. If you're looking to park some money, ocean it. <laughs>